0: chapter here, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. Now here's what it said. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sin after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For it is by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more, They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by one offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we ask you to meet with us today. We ask you, Father, to give us the things that uh, only you can. We pray, Father, for uh, all the things that are, uh, transcending on this church right now as far as the building and all the things that we're trying to get done. And may we rally together, Lord, to, uh, to get it done and to accomplish what we need to get accomplished. We do love you. We do thank you and praise you now, Father, for what you've done for us and you've given us. And we'll ask you, Lord, to uh, help us to put it all together today and, and help it be a blessing and to your people. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, you've heard me say for many, many years, if you've been around at all, that uh, there's different ways to study the Bible. And uh, this is a classic example of, of one of the ways you get it. And I know when you read these verses, you know, and, I, and I, I admit to you, you know, here again, we're back to that legal terminology that, that, uh, that we use. Uh, and it can look confusing. But we want to we wanna show you how to, even in that, you always break it down. And I've told you that there's different ways you study your Bible. Many times you'll study your Bible by what we call association. In other words, he'll show you the things that are the same. He'll show you this, and then he'll show you something over here that is the same as this, and you learn from that. We call that association. Sometimes, uh, and we'll see some of this even today, sometimes you learn things about the Bible or from the Bible by what we call types. Types is something that this is a type of this. And it's, a, it's kind of like a, another way we study the Bible, we talk about it, It's a, another name for a type can be a picture. I've told you many, many times, and we've been focusing on this on Thursday night, if you have been paying attention and what we've been going through. I've been showing you that every time you ask a question, I try now to bring before you the illustration of how that, that uh, whatever story you ask me in the Bible uh, whatever, whatever question you have, if it's about a story in the Old Testament, or at least Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you know, we got into it Thursday night when somebody asked a question about the four dead people over there in, uh, back in, in the Gospels that we talked about last Sunday. And I showed you how that, there again, that is, a, that, is a, that is a picture. That is a type. It shows you the story which actually happened is a story told to illustrate, illustrate some specific truth. And when you you see the story, everybody can understand stories. When you see a story and you understand the story, you may have a truth over here or a Bible verse that says something, but you can't understand it. But when you have a story that illustrates the verse, it kind of makes it easier for you. And you'll find that the Bible was put together that way. I've told you how that there are certain key words in the Bible. Bottom line is if you could just remember about five or ten key words and every time you find that word in the Bible, remember what that word represents as far as the context, your Bible will become a lot easier. And, uh, and then I tell you, and this is what we're going to look at today, you'll find another way you study your Bible is by contrast. Not only do you study the Bible by things that are the same, but a lot of your Bible you'll learn material by the things that are different. And this is what we're going to look at today along with some of the other things in here. And, uh, and again, in this great passage, we find ourselves in the middle uh, of stuff that's just absolutely loaded for you and for me as far as uh, the Bible's concerned and the Word of God's concerned. Now, the reality is this. This passage, again, drives home the great theme of the doctrine of God's imputed righteousness. That is the thing, and I don't know if you've seen this, I, he, he's, done this he's done this about nine different ways now, because the thing that he wants, the theme that about Romans, the theme about Romans is simply that you and I now are justified by faith uh, in Jesus Christ, and we have received His grace. That is the whole thing He's trying to get across in the first five chapters of Romans. And basically, honestly, what you've got here is God just trying to do something about six different ways. And the same thing, telling you from this angle, from this angle, because He wants us to get it. And when you read down here, verses 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, basically what you have is very simple. Man, by his choice, by his own choice, man, by his choice, brought sin into the world, and then God, through his choice, made a way for man to get out of the bad choice that man made. That's what he's saying. This whole thing is a contrast that man screwed it up, God made it better. Man fell into sin, God made a way out. By one by one man's sin, death passed upon all men. But then God made a way out of that sin debt that you and I might have a way. And that's basically what He's saying. Let's let's kind of for a minute here, and I want to get these verses. I don't. This is going to sound bad. I want to get these verses out of the way. I'm, I'm doing something that that I do sometimes when you teach the Bible. I'm going to deal with the. I'm going to deal with the, uh, the the main. I'm going to start past the point I really want to make give you this, get it out of the way so you understand it. And then I am going to go back to the main deal that we want to focus on today because it's another aspect of getting God's righteousness. But let's look at these verses for a moment here. And you can put some notes down. And if I were you, I just, I'd put these notes right down uh, by your Bible and, uh, in these verses here. Look at verse 14. It says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now here's the thing I want you to see. And we're going to come back to this in just a little bit. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, a couple of things here we want to note on, and we're going to come back to this, but this is where we're going to really, our our meat's going to be, but we're going to get the rest of these in. But a couple of things. First of all, it tells you, it tells you that death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, when you find that in the Bible, it's not talking about death reigning from Adam to Moses, and then when Moses was on the scene, death stopped. Moses represents the law. And many times when you find a reference to Moses in the Bible, it'll be more than just a reference to Moses the man. Like in this case, the Bible says that death reigned from Adam to Moses. What's that mean? What is he saying? He's basically saying that Moses represents the law, and the law ends with Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this, that death reigned from Adam right up to the end of the law which Moses represents. You want to mark that in your Bible because when you find that many times when it talks about Moses, not just talking about the man as we know him, it's talking about what he represents. And he represents the whole history of the nation of Israel from Exodus chapter 12 to the first coming of Christ when they're under the law. And then the thing that I want you to see, and we're going to talk about this today. Notice he says in verse 14 that, uh, even, uh, that nevertheless death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that hath not sinned after the similitude of Adam. You know what he said there? He said there's somebody in the world today that has not sinned yet. There's somebody in the world today that has not transgressed God's law. But even though that person has not yet become talking about your children. But even though, even though your children, and this is what we're going to get into in a little bit, even though your children, if they're under the age of accountability, no sin has been imputed to them, what he's saying there is that death still reigns over them. We want to talk about today how that's going to impact everything about your child. You see, we've looked at the righteousness of God being imputed to you and me and all the different aspects. The thing that we haven't looked at yet is how that affects your children. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But let's look at some more of these verses here. Look at verse 15. Very quickly. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. Now I want you to see here in this verse, we see our first word, free gift. Free gift. The thing that is the key about salvation is the fact that it's free. It's a free gift. If you tried to buy it, if you tried to merit it, if you tried to earn it, it would be absolutely impossible. The only way that you can get it is the fact that that uh, God gives it to you as a free gift now with that in mind let me say this with that in mind let me say this back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 2 when you find that uh, even a devil start talking back and forth and he begins to sow doubt in her mind in the Word of God you're gonna find one of the greatest character studies of, of not only how the devil approaches you but how Human nature in ourselves approaches God and the devil. Now, obviously, we know that when the devil showed up, what he did was simply say, uh, he questioned what God and what God meant. And he, he basically says in a question form, Yea, hath God said? When the woman begins to answer him, she, it shows us what man is going to try to do to salvation, which is free. And it's a free gift. Because God told Adam and Eve in the garden that the tree of every every tree in the garden was for yours freely to eat. And God put the word freely in when he was talking about what he was going to do for Adam and Eve. When Eve, in her conversation with the devil, who already had got her to doubt the word of God by a question mark, yea, hath God said? When that transpired, Eve then, responding to him takes out the most invaluable key word in understanding salvation. You know what she takes out? She leaves out the word freely. Where God puts the word free in, free gift, freely receive, it's yours, it's a gift. What we do is we take the word freely out and try to make man think there's something you can do for it. As we stand here this morning, or I stand here this morning, you sit here this morning and we're preaching to you the Word of God all across this country, all across this city. There's men standing in pulpits. There's men teaching and preaching Sunday school classes. There's probably a half a million Bible studies going on right now. And the, and the gist of what is being said is that you have to do something to be saved. Or if you are saved, you have to do something to keep being saved. When the truth of the matter is, in Romans chapter 5, where we're talking about salvation, you getting imputed God's righteousness, he tells you it's a free gift. Look at verse 16. And not as it was by one man that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Now, in time, and I'll help you with this when you get to this point. In time, you're going to have to learn how to, how to win somebody to Christ. When I say win somebody to Christ, that's a term that we use in Bible Christianity. You're going to have to learn how to le- lead somebody to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You'll never really be valuable to me. You'll never really be valuable, valuable to me till I'm comfortable with the fact that you can take another person that is lost and take them somewhere and open up your bible and show them unequivocally how they can be saved that's when you become of real value to me i want to have a time in my life in our church and i'll be honest with you i don't have this yet and it's it's nobody's fault really it's nobody's fault we're a young church a lot of you have come in the last couple of years and it takes a while to get to the point so this is certainly not a criticism but I find myself doing this. Now, last Sunday morning, we had, we had four people raise their hand to be saved. Well, five. I'll tell you about the fifth one here in a little bit. We had, we had five people raise their, I guess we had four people and a, and a half a person raise their hand to be saved. And when I, uh, and the first thing that goes through my mind is this, because I've got people spread out doing everything. We've got people working down here. We've got people watching the parking lot. We've got people doing this. I mean, you just got to have that. And the first thing that goes through my mind is a panic because it's almost like, wow, oops, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Now, because I'm panicking, I'm, sa- I'm looking across the crowd saying, okay, if these four people stand up, and two of them did, if these four people stand up and want to get saved, who do I have out there that I can confidently Say, will you take this person and take them over here and in, with a confidence that I know that you, that person is going to be able to open up the Scriptures, deal with them where they're at, help them understand uh, what the Scripture says, work with any quirks that come up in the middle of it, nothing, nothing goes, no plan goes perfect, and be able to lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of the day, I mean, our church is about a lot of things, and you, and you probably you know, hear me say all those things, and you may be a little confused. Well, last week you said the most important thing was this, and this week you're saying it's this, and next week you'll say it was this, and three weeks ago you said it was this. Which is it? All of the above, obviously. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is this church needs to reproduce itself. We need to reproduce ourselves and other people, and we do that by winning men and women to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what this church is for. And for me, you know what, I know we've got classes, you know, I help people all the time. We have those little things that Marion printed up, and we pass them out how to win somebody to Christ, and, and that's just a step forward, just a start. But you're never going to really be able to be used because God wants to be able to put you in any scenario to be able to bring some man to Christ, because that's the bottom line. Bottom line is reproducing ourselves. We can have the greatest church in the world and the greatest preachers in the world and the greatest kids in the world that love God, know the Bible, how many warts the Antichrist got on the left side of his hind end and everything else in the world and talk about who this is and this and that. And if you can't systematically open up the Bible and win someone to a saving knowledge of Christ confidently that you know you can cover all the deals that you got to deal with, we're wasting our time here. We're wasting our time. Now... To me, salvation is very simple in dealing with people. I keep it real simple. And I basically key it around the free gift. Now, the greatest verse in your Bible that talks about salvation being a gift, obviously, is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And if you ever get to the place in your life where you win somebody to Christ, this is what I call my pivotal verse. In other words, everything up to this point, you're a sinner. And I lay out the aspect of the wages of sin and all the problems that there's nothing to do with good. And I'll, I'll take them to Romans chapter 3. That's a very good place to go. It says there that there's nothing to do with good, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That every, it, it lays down the point that everybody is a sinner. But you've got to have a place that you go from here to the next part is the fact that God wants to save you. And to me, that's Romans chapter 6 verse 23 which says this. It says the wages of sin is death you see that's where you just came you just have established that the wages of their sin is death but but that's a conjunction in English literature but a conjunction brings two things together that are opposite but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord you see that's my springboard I get them, to understand they're a sinner, and then I take them to that spring and they say, because you are the sinner, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It's a gift. And the thing that man wants to do is take the word freely out and not make it a gift. You don't, you don't buy something and say, well, it was a gift. No, you bought it. Something that somebody gives you has to be free if it's a gift. All right, then he says in verse 17 here, moving along. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by uh, uh, by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift, there it is again, came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience uh, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall be made righteous. You see what we got here? We We keep making the contrast. One guy messed it up, one guy fixed it. One man's disobedience, one man's obedience. One man's unrighteousness, one man's righteousness. He says in verse 20 and 21, and this is a great verse. Moreover, law, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin did abound, sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's a great verse. That as sin hath reigned unto death, death there, dying and going to hell, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now see what you got there? The theme of this thing, all the way through here, all the way through, the theme is simply this. One man brought in sin, One man took sin out, and because he took it out, you and I get the righteousness of God imputed to us as a free gift. And that's the whole context of the first five chapters of the book of Romans, and that's the point he's trying to make. Now, in verse 14, it says, and this is going back now to where we want to get to. In verse 14, it says that Adam was a figure of Him who was to come now that him who was to come is a reference to Christ and this is where I told you when we started our Bible time today that uh, we were going to look at association we were going to look at types and uh, take your Bibles now and turn over to 2nd Corinthians chapter 15 and it's, pick it up in verse 45 and I want to show you how, how, how you how this thing lays itself out and you will want to get these notes in your Bible over here too if you're paying attention. And here again, we're looking at a contrast. Now we've added to the contrast a figure of something. We're going to see a type within a contrast. All right, right, Second Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45. What did I say? Well, I think it's Second Corinthians, yes. Just make sure I'm right here. You got to remember, I, I'm getting old. You know what? There ain't no Second Corinthians 15, so that ain't going to work. Let's try 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah, verse 45. Yeah, here we go. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, there's Adam in the garden, was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that not, was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. And afterward, the second Adam, that which is spiritual. The first Adam is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, that's you and I, of this earth, born through your family, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. Now, let me just stop there for a minute and clarify what he's saying here. One of the things that he's doing, he's showing you that the Adam in the Garden of Eden and is a type of Christ. So there's going to be some parallels there we're going to look at. What he's also saying is this. The first Adam Represents your physical natural birth and there ain't there is no blessings of God or nothing spiritual about that That's why the Bible says you have to be born again And when you get born again you get born again not from the first Adam of what he did But from what the second Adam did to undo what the first Adam screwed up and did see how thing works We're we're, we're all born of the first one, but you got to get born again spiritually of the heavenly one and when you do that, you know, uh, that's what we call being born again, born into God's family. Now, the parallel here in is, 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 the type is quite interesting. Now, let me just tell you here a few things, and some of you older ones, you know this, but the uh, price of learning is repetition. In your Bible, coming through the Old Testament, you'll find that there are 21 men. Adam is just one in a list of 21. He's the first one, but he's just one on a list of 21 men. There are 21 men in the Old Testament that typify through type, through a picture. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to find that there are 21 men that when you would go back in the Old Testament and read their story, study their lives, look at what they go through, look at what they struggle with, look at how they deal with things, look at uh, the things they're up against, (coughs) you will find that the similarities between what they go through and what Christ goes through, again, is one of those great things that it shows you what happened over here by what happened here. By the same token, just to be 100% honest here and give you both sides of the story, in the Old Testament, there's also 18 men, 18 men, one eight, 18 men who, through their lives, their events, and the things that they do, foreshadow the coming Antichrist or the man of sin. And, of course, that's how God wants you and I to learn the Bible. If you want to know about the Antichrist, who he is, what he does, where he, what he hangs out with, then go back and study those 18 types. Take those 18 types, match them up with the verses in the New Testament that you do have, presto, bingo, go, you have a picture of the Antichrist. And you can do the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying here, that, that what you have in Adam and Christ Adam's called the first Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ is called the second Adam. And there's a lesson you can learn. Now, if Adam is a type of Christ, in that sense, then Eve is a type of the church. Eve was the female, she wasn't a direct creation, she came from Adam, uh, God made her out of, the, out of his bone, and so we see that she's not a direct creation, but she's an indirect creation, The church is not a direct creation it came out of the death of Christ just as God put a deep sleep upon Adam and then reached in there and took out that rib and fashioned a woman from it when Christ died on the cross and it's no wild coincidence when that Roman soldier threw that spear in his side it went right in the same spot where God took the rib out because Adam is a type of uh, Adam is a type of Christ and the woman that he had Eve is a type of the church you ever notice that when the devil did come to, to disrupt God's plan that he came to Eve when Adam wasn't around you know what that's a picture of that's a picture of the church age right now Christ is up in heaven he's not right here bodily and that's why the devil's attacking the church you know the only thing that Adam and Eve did have uh, to make sure that she knew uh, that she stayed between the white lines is the same thing her husband wasn't there What she had was what she had been told by her husband through God himself that she had to do. And all we have is the word of God that God has given us that we have in a book that even though he's not here, we can overcome the wiles of the devil. And that's how that thing works. That's how that thing works. I've told you many, many times the greatest parallel for me is to see how that were the first Adam that was in the garden Denied the Lord Jesus Christ, denied everything that God was supposed to do. And that's another thing. When, when, he, when Adam came home and Esau walked in there and Eve had changed, she no, long was, no longer was innocent. There was something different about her. Because the Bible says God told them that in the day you eat of that fruit, thou shalt surely die. And now he comes home, he's alive, and she's dead. I mean, she's alive walking around, but she's an an unsaved person now. She's no longer an innocent. She's dead in trespasses of sin. She looked different. And Adam says, honey, what happened to you? And she said, well, the the devil came around and gave me some of that fruit. And he says, you mean you ate that? She says, yeah, it's good. You got to have some. He says, but God said no. You know what Adam did? He looked at her. Looked at God, looked at her, looked at God, looked at her, looked at God, looked at her. He probably didn't look back and forth that long. He just said, see you, God, and he took her the fruit. You know what he did? He died with her. Now, ladies, or guys, this is why when you find a woman, the first thing she's going to ask you, do you love me enough to die for me? The answer is no way. If she's Spanish, it's no way, Jose. If she's German, it's nine mach nil. Say, if she's Japanese, it's also uh uh-uh, uh no. That's how you do it. Say whatever it is. I can speak all those languages. But anyway, but that's what you're up against. You see, now, but what you see is this: Adam is a type of Christ. She's a type of the church. Adam willingly died for her after she he knew she was dead just like Christ saw you and me in a dead trespass of sin and then was willing to die for us on the cross see that type that's the picture that if you just go out of here today with that you learn quite a bit I hope you get more but if that's all you can handle I'm I'm with you I'm, I'm all for it now as I said this passage really shows you the principle and like i say many many times the price of learning is repetition now i want to now that we got that kind of laid out and you understand how that goes let's go back to verse uh, 13 and 14 and i want to show you go back to the beginning now and i want to show you understanding what we now know i want to show you and have you understand how that this thing of imputed righteousness works for your children And uh, this passage, like I said, it really shows you a great principle. I want to give you one of the greatest aspects of getting God's righteousness in this church age and how it concerns your children. You know now how it deals with you. All right, look at verse 13. Now, this is a great principle. We're going to read 13 and 14. For until, this is what he's saying, for until the law, sin was in the world. Now, here's the thing you want to see. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. All right? Hold that thought. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless. Nevertheless means because it's like wherefore. Because of what I just said. Nevertheless. Death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned. Here it comes. After the similitude of Adam's transgression. Comma who is the figure of him that was to come. You know what he's saying? He's saying that your children, you and me as adults, we have sinned after the transgression of Adam's transgression. You and I came to a point in our lives where we made a full knowledge choice that we were going to disobey God and not do what God wanted us to do. We made that choice. It was a conscious choice the devil didn't sneak up and and get us when we weren't looking we looked we did the same thing that Adam did we looked at whatever in the world we looked at God the world the God the world the God and it didn't take that long either and we said so long God took the world and at that moment is when we became a sinner and we became dead in trespasses of sin but what he's saying here is that there's somebody even oh uh, there's somebody even though death reigned from adam to moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of adam's trespass somebody death is reigning over but yet they have not sinned before god and are in a fallen state they're still in that innocence that adam and eve had now that would be your children and that's what we're going to talk about today that's what we're going to talk about today You know i i talked to you a while back and i I, i've given it to you a couple of times about the 12 doctrines of salvation and and basically all 12 of those go into effect in your life the moment of salvation the moment you're saved the bible says those 12 doctrines instantaneously uh, take operational status in your life and of course that's when you're saved Bible says you're sealed unto the day of redemption. We've seen that so far in our study of Romans. But the question is today that we want to talk about and help you understand is how does the this imputed righteousness that you and I have, how does it work with your child? Now, we have a very young church. And as a as a young church, we have a lot of couples, and the birth rate here is you know, is phenomenal. I mean, people are just, you know, getting, having kids all the time, and I'm all for it. I think that's great. You know, happy as a man and hath this quiver full. I mean, I'm all for it. But bottom line is this. We're a young church, and as parents, young parents, you are faced with these very issues. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, and you say, well, I'm not even married. Well, but maybe you will be someday, see You may be sitting here and saying, well, I'm not married, ain't going to get married, don't want to get married. I heard what Bob said about institutions last week, and I ain't getting in one. Say, that's fine. But I'll tell you what, God may put you into a situation where somebody else that is married is having problems, and you can minister to them by what you know. Please don't think that something I talk about in the Bible, if you're not married, and it has to do with marriage, or it has to do with children, or you don't have any children, or... Please don't think that it doesn't have any relevance in your life. God wants to use you to minister for him wherever you go. And you may just be a young guy or a young gal that's out there and you may, you know, not have any kids. Or you may be somebody that that had kids and they're grown up and they've got kids. And God just puts you in a scenario where you have to have some answers to minister to them. So so many people, you know, I hear it all the time. Well, I don't have that, so that doesn't affect me. Well, no, it only affects you if you want to be used to God to minister to other people. That's, that's the only way it would affect you. And, you know, so if it doesn't affect you, it doesn't affect you. I understand. But that's what you've got to understand here. And there's a couple of basic things that I want you to, I want you to get down, and, 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 and we're going to define some things. Now, the first thing I want you to know is simply this. Now, we use this term a lot. We use this term a lot and we use the term of the fact that your children before they hit the age of accountability when they're little kids that they are under the blood we use that terminology and we use it because we all know what that means and that's an okay terminology because they are under the blood but I want you to understand the difference between being under the blood and being washed by the blood okay if you're here this morning and you're saved, you are not under the blood. You're not under the blood. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saved, you are you have been washed in the blood. You're not under the blood. Now, by the same token, if you have a little child down there, we're going to talk about the age of accountability here in a minute. If you have a little child down there in the elementary, and and that child is obviously uh not hit the age of accountability yet. Now, they are under the blood, but they are not washed in the blood. You see? In other words, they're what Paul was talking about, that from Adam to Adam to Moses, death reigned upon them who had not sinned under the similitude of Adam's sin. In other words, they're children. They're under the age of accountability. And there's no sin. The Bible says where there is no law, no sin is imputed. What does that mean? It means that as long as your child doesn't know in their heart right from wrong, can't make a conscious choice, and doesn't understand the consequences of their choice, that God at that point of their life has not, I say has not, imputed Sin to them. In other words, they are not accountable to their sin. Now, i got to add to that list. We have people, babies that are born today, and they're born with physical or mental deficiencies. Some of them are, are, are very severely handicapped. And you have people that were born, and they live now, and maybe they're 30 or 40 years old, and they still have the mind of a 3-year-old or a 4-year-old or a 7-year-old. And I'm asked the question many, many times, what happens in situations like that? Okay, in situations like that, God looks at them as a little child all of their life. And they, uh, to, for a better lack of a term, they get a free ticket. Free ticket. Now, I know that none of us want to live our lives that way because we think life is so grand right now. But knowing what I know, I mean, I thank God that I'm saved. But I look back on it and I get scared to death because it would have just have been easy if I, if I wouldn't have got saved. And if I had to go back and look at it and I, and I had to make the choice all over again and I'm not, I wasn't guaranteed to make the same choice and God said, you can go back as Bob Alexander or you can be born as some water brain or somebody who is a baby or somebody who is severely handicapped and get a free ticket, I'd take the free ticket every, every time. We don't know that now because we look at the quality of life that we enjoy and we think that quality of life. But you see, that's our problem. We look at the short term. We don't see the long term. If I had to be a water brain baby or a retarded baby or someone who's severely handicapped mentally to go through life for 30, 40 years and then spend an eternity with God and have everything I ever wanted to have and never have to deal with the sin penalty, sign me up. Where's the list? I want on it. You see, that's the difference between me and some of you. You look at the quality of life, and you say, oh, this life is so great. Well, it only is because you don't understand the whole concept of what God has for you. And in that, it's, a, it's, it's not the greatest thing in the world when you see it from God's standpoint. But I want you to know that those kids have a, have a free ride all the way through. And when you and I got saved, uh, we got washed in the blood. Your children, at this point... They are under the blood, but they are not washed in the blood. And God has looks at them right now, and He looks at them as the fact that He has not imputed sin to them. So if you have a little baby, a little child up to the age of accountability, and again, we'll talk about that here in a moment, he, that baby, God forbid, would pass away or would die or whatever the case, it's, it's a free ride, free ticket, free ticket. And, uh, you know, well, I won't get into that. We'll just stay with the text here. Now, the second thing you've got to realize as a parent, and this is very important. Your child does not understand about God. Your child does not understand about the things of the Bible. Now, you may think they do, and the older they get, the more they grasp. But you know, and I know, or you should know, that the truth of the matter is simply this. You and your wife, and this is why the first area of years of of having children are so vitally important. You and your wife are the only reference that that little baby is going to have of God. He isn't going to get it down in the elementary. He isn't going to get it in Sunday school. He's not going to be to daycare someplace, and somebody's going to hand him a track, and he's going to find out he needs to be a sinner. You and your, now listen to me carefully, and this is the way God designed it. You and your wife are God to that little child. You, through your life, through what you do, through what you do in this church, with the Word of God, in your own personal life, you will show him or not show him God. You either show him God or you will show him the world. You will not show him anything in between. And most parents don't understand that. They don't understand that they are are the, they are, the, they are the, the only understanding that that little kid gets of who God is. and it's by their relationship and bond together and individually that ensures that they will come to that point and and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I've I've seen kids that grew up and obviously were lost. And I can guarantee you, knowing what I know about God and the Bible and how the thing works, they weren't lost because they got into a scenario someplace at 14 or 15 or even 12 and 13. They were lost because when they were still an infant. They were lost because when they were toddlers. They were lost because when they were just little, little kids, two and three years old, what the representation of God that they saw worked them that the devil used down the line someplace else. It's just that simple. Most parents do not see the absolutely critical, and I mean critical role they play in their children. You, The third thing I want you to understand is that you and your wife are the barrier between Satan and your child. And that's why the Bible says that, uh, you know, as parents, we had to protect our children. And, and of course, we're just like everything else. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And boy, that isn't the verse that we follow as parents. We're more worried about all the things out there that we want to protect our children from, and rightly so, that could hurt them. But what we're not concerned about is what is in our very home that can destroy them. You may check, you may keep your child from every rotten, bad influence out there. You may send them to Christian school 24 7, seven days a week, only get them on the weekend for an hour, and then send them back. And the bottom line is this. What you have going on in your home will be enough to send them little kids straight to hell like a bullet. Parents don't understand that. They don't realize that. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 that we are as Christians never to give place to the devil. Never. Give no place. I love the way he says it. He didn't say give no time. He didn't say give no no attention. He said give no place. You know why? Because what we do is allow things in our life and place them there, which ultimately are going to destroy our children. Destroy us too, but destroy our children. You see, the devil's philosophy is really simple. Here it is. And most parents will never get to this point and never see it. And this is how you understand how righteousness gets imputed to your child. I'm going to tell you, it gets imputed not through Christ directly, but through Christ through you indirectly. You better take that piece of theology home with you. Because what the devil wants to do and how he operates is how he always operates. He always goes after the weakest link. If you got a group of people and they're out on the mission field, or they're out preaching somewhere or you got them together as a ministry team doing some ministry and the devil wants to stop it you know where he will start to attack to stop it he will always attack the weakest link because any chain is only as strong as its weakest link any church is only as strong as its weakest member And any family is only as strong as its weakest parent. And brother, you better learn that lesson. Not only for your family, but for ministry. And just as you would not allow your child to be alone or around an own child molester or child pedophile... You, you wouldn't let them go with a stranger. You protect them. You, you, you tell them if somebody comes up and, and asks you if, for directions or wants to give you candy or come look at this little puppy or this little kitty cat, you run to the nearest neighbor. You run to some adult. You protect them there, but you must learn to protect them from the things that are spiritually in this world that the devil wants to destroy your children. Now, it is so subtle. And I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Now, this is not a criticism. And if you're doing this with your children, this is, there are things that I preach against that God's people shouldn't do. And, I, and, if, and, and people say, well, he said that because he knows I'm doing it. No, no, that's not necessarily true. But you may be doing what I'm saying. I am, I'm telling you up front, I'm not preaching against if you're doing this. I'm just giving you information, okay? I mean, that's my job, Mr. Information. I know you think it's your job, but it's not. It's my job. Okay, you know I watch around, and I I know when my kids were growing up, we listened to this coming on a tape last night. Coming up, and I kind of jog my memory. I remember when my kids were growing up, I was very careful of the things that they listened to on television or the things that were around them that had an influence on them. I found that my children, and my children were no different than your children. I found that my children. Could pick up things of the world a lot quicker than they could pick up things from God. The big thing in our home uh, was the Wizard of Oz. My wife was raised on the Wizard of Oz. Myself, I was raised on combat, <laughs> fighting Seabees. But Wizard of Oz is what it is. I've always imagined it too would make a great movie. Dorothy's on her way to see the wizard the old wicked witch and the, and the little munchkin guys are out there and then right in the middle when she needs help an airdrop from the 82nd and 101st airborne not my version of the Wizard of Oz could you see the little guy oh, oh coming down the wall boy and a big old f-111 comes down there and just strafes them all there and they're going off the wall everywhere that's my kind of movie you know I mean could you see the wicked witch coming out of the woods saying "Ah!" I'll get you, you little children. About that time, a Navy still steps out and <laughs> <laughs> That's my movie, man. But I watch my kids, you know, they sit down there and they learn all the characters, you know. They learn about the Iron Man and the Tin Man and the Wolf Man and all those guys, you know, and Dorothy and Tito or Toto or whatever. Tito was the guy with the green hornet. Well, you know, I get them all messed up. And they walk around the house for the next two weeks singing, it's off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of all, because, 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 you know. One time they saw the movie, they remembered the whole song. We have to work six weeks to get them to remember one memory verse. You know why that is? Because even though they're under the blood, they have an old sin nature that you have to protect. I watched it, I watched it, and I I, I again, this is not, I'm not castigating anybody and I'm not but I watched when my kids were growing up I, and it's all changed now we'll get to how it's changed here in a moment if, if you don't know that we're not close to the second coming of Christ by watching on your television then you, you, you're way out in touch and I watched when my kids were growing up even I crowed up we used to set Saturday morning cartoons was it so don't call me on Saturday morning between 9 and 12 okay <laughs> but you know what it was back then I was watching them. My kids would sit down there and they'd watch uh, They'd watch Bugs Bunny. They'd watch Wiley e. Coyote. They'd watch Heckle and Jekyll. They'd watch all. And one day it just dawned on me. I was looking at that thing, watching it. And one day it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Here's my kid sitting down watching these animals. And yet, very subtly, when I saw it, every one of those animals was an unclean animal out of Leviticus chapter 11. That's, you say, Bob, I'm telling you. How come there ain't no stories about lambs on there? Don't you think a lamb would be a good story? I mean, the close thing you get to it is Mary had a little lamb, and its fleece was white as snow, and it was. And when, uh, 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 but why don't you why don't you why don't you find about a, why is it always buzzards? Why is it always crows? Why isn't there some majestic eagle floating up there? who God is a reference to in Deuteronomy 32. I'll tell you why. Because the devil wants to make sure, he wants to make sure that the examples he gives your children, even in the most innocent way, have nothing to do with God. You know where we're at today? Today your kids are playing with the giants out of Genesis chapter 6. The he-men. They're playing, and I'm not saying you go home and smash all their he-men. Be careful, those he-men will reach up and grab you out of the toy box and throw you down, pull you down inside. We got a thing now where, and it's the rage. And I'm not saying if, if I had kids, I'd let them have them. I'm not saying you don't do it. But now the big thing is, know what it is? It's, here it comes. It's man transforming from machine and machine transforming back to men. See, in my day, it was easy. You went to the store for Christmas, you got one of three things. You got a double pair of 6 do with a sheriff's badge. You got an army helmet with a tommy gun and a 45 you can play army it was that simple now you're you're into the technical side of it see now you're actually transforming man to machine machine to man you're actually playing with supernatural he-men who you watch on television and they i mean the only he-man we had when i grew up was superman and god fixed him he killed himself (laughs) krypton bullet do you every time and, but but I look at those things and I say to myself, that's that it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A parent needs to understand that uh, that there's more to protecting your child than just from what you see out there. Now, why is that? Because I'm telling you, because your children can't protect themselves. That's why. Verse 13 says, for unto, uh, uh, until the law, sin was in the world, but death was not imputed where there is no sin. The Bible teaches, and we know this, that from the birth up to the age of accountability of your child, they're in a state of innocence. Now, let's talk about that. And what is the age of accountability? Well, the age of accountability, bottom line is simply this. The age of accountability is when your child comes to the point that they understand the difference between right and wrong. I'm going to show you how to determine that here just a little bit. Now, some people get up there and they say, well, it's 12 years old. Now, that's the magical age let me tell you something there is no magical age for the age of accountability every child is different every child is different now obviously the criteria for understanding and getting a shave is found in the Bible somebody said well my kid was saved when they were four years old well if only if they are also the Virgin Mary and understand the, the, you know all the secrets and, and came back in the spirit of Moses and Elijah maybe four-year-old is almost impossible Five-year-old is almost impossible. Six-year-old is tough. But what I am saying is this: every child is different. But you got to have some sense. You got, to, and most parents. I'm going to talk about another set of mistakes most parents make here, in just a little bit as we go on through here. But what you what you have to understand is the fact that 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 they are under the blood; they're not washed in the blood. And you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, and you are sealed they are not their salvation and everything about their salvation depends on you and your husband and your consistency together in God in the Word of God Romans chapter 4 verse 15 says because the law worketh wrath for where no law is there is no transgression John would you uh, call tell Danny to all those guys over there to see if they're on the way over here so we don't get hung up here you do that for me Romans 4 15 says because the law worketh wrath for where no law is there is no transgression now that's what he's saying. he's saying where well, your child can't understand the law right and wrong then God doesn't look at it as a transition against the law transgression against the law and because of that he doesn't impute any sin to them now, there's the principle. Let me show you the picture. Come back to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And sometime around the line, you will be faced with this, and you will have to help somebody understand it, and uh, God may just put you in a spot where you, can, you need to learn this. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. Now, let me explain to you what has happened here. Deuteronomy is written during the time that the nation of Israel are wandering for 40 years. They've got all kinds of problems. And now God has told them that there is a number of them. There is a number of those men and women who are not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. That the nation of Israel is going to take a right turn at Jordan And they're going to spend another 40 years wandering out around, or or 40 years wandering around, not another, but 40 years wandering around out there. Why? Till everybody dies. And the only ones that are going to be allowed to cross over are these people here. Let's read it. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. Moreover, you're a little one which he said should be a prey. Now I want to stop right there and show you that even in the Old Testament nation of Israel, they knew that their little ones were an easy prey. And your children, which in that day, the day that they sinned against God in the wilderness, had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, And unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. You know what he's saying? He's saying, okay, nation of Israel, all you moms and dads that sinned against me in the wilderness and didn't do what was right, you're not going in. We're going to march you around till you're all dead, but your little ones, your children... Who did not know right from wrong and I'm not going to impute any ungodliness to them. I'm going to allow them to go over and they're going to possess it even though you're not. That is the same story that you've got here in this thing in Romans 5 about your children. Your God is going to allow them into if they die. Why? Because they are not washed in the blood, but they are under the blood because there was no sin imputed to them. All right. Understanding your child in the light of God's imputed righteousness. Oh, that's a great study. Now come over to Romans chapter 7. Let's see Paul's great analogy here. And it's a good analogy. Romans 7, 9. Look what Paul says. Paul talking about himself now in light of what we have just seen. For I, Paul, was alive without the law once. What's he saying? He's saying that before he hit the age of accountability, he was alive. No sin was imputed to him. That he was alive without the law because he knew no right and wrong in the law. Therefore, he had not transgressed the law. Therefore, God not had imputed sin to him. So he is alive as a baby, as a child, without the law. All right? Now look at the next part of that verse. But when the commandment came. Ah, there it is. When Paul came to the point that the Word of God, the commandment, the law of God, meant something to him, it now comes to him, he knows right from wrong, he knows what's right, knows what's wrong, and now it's very obvious, but when the commandment came, look what it says, sin revived and I died. Now, at that point, he is dead in trespasses of sin. He was alive once without the law before the age of accountability. When that age of accountability transcended his life and the commandment came and he knew right from wrong. At that point, when he makes the wrong choice, just like Adam did, by the way, just like you and I did. When he makes that wrong choice, sin revives and he's now dead in trespasses of sin. And now he needs to be saved. And that will be the state of your children. And that's why the importance of understanding God's imputed righteousness to you and to me is absolutely crucial. Now, here's the mistakes that parents make in understanding this. The first thing that parents have, because of the fact that they've got, and I understand a lot of this, this is, again, this is not a criticism, but this is an observation that you need to critique in your life parents first of all need to in spite of all their busy schedules and all that they do and everything that they are concerned with and their jobs and their families and all of the things parents need number one to be God conscious about their children in other words they need to never get their eye off the ball of what God is doing and where they're at with their children when they're little When they're old too but when they're little especially because i'm telling you the first one to three to three years are the most vital time in building your child and bringing that child and ensuring that child gets to the point where he gets everything or she gets everything god has for them the second thing we've already talked about this we will not belabor it Most parents don't realize that you and your husband or all that child at an early age is always he's going to see and understand about God. They don't understand it. You are the wall of protection. You are spiritually what they need to have in their life to keep the bad things out and the good things in. Then the third thing that most parents are aware of is the absolute importance of their personal relationship with God as to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God in your life through biblical principles most parents totally misread their children at the first sign that a child says I want to be saved parents want their kids to be saved I've never met a parent that said I want my kid to go to hell parents want their children to be saved that's commendable But when they don't understand their children, when they don't see their children, when they don't deal with their children in the biblical fashion, what happens is the first time a kid raises and it can be a scary time, the first time that kid says, I want to be saved. Mom and dad who wants them to be saved finally says, glory to God, that kid's going to be saved. And so they embark on the great crusade to win their child to Christ, and unfortunately, that child hasn't got a clue of what mom and dad is talking about mom and dad with their good intention want that child to be saved so desperately that they force that child into a circumstance or a situation that that child has no comprehension of understanding and then give that child a false concept of God and their salvation I I have dealt with so many people (coughs) that in their 20s and their 30s that were it t- was saved at a very young age that the problem with them when they get into the world is they have truly really never been saved it was forced into their world because mom and dad with all the best intentions of the world was afraid they would lose their child and the, and the irony of it is they wound up losing their child anyhow incredible So you have parents who who give their child a false salvation. Obviously, you have parents that give your children no salvation. But the grace of God, we pick them up here or you pick them up or God picks them up someplace and they get saved not by their parents, but in spite of their parents. When we taught the child training classes a while back, I told you there were basically three stages. And and your children come through. And it's the three stages of what I call protection. The first stage was a a discipline stage. That's when you get your children to mind. You teach them, no, don't don't do this. Don't touch this. No, don't don't do that. Don't do this. As they grow up into that and you continue the discipline stage, it automatically lends itself into what we call the relationship stage. In the relationship stage, this is where probably your child will become saved. Because if mom and dad have done what they're supposed to do and are the model of God in their life and have disciplined the way that they should and held them accountable the way that they should, it automatically leads to the next stage, which is the relationship stage. And as mom and dad builds that continued relationship with them, they transfer that relationship from mom and dad as God to the real God who now they can have a real relationship with because they're growing. The next stage that automatically takes care of itself, when you continue that stage, will be the responsibility stage. And that is where they start to, they start to take responsibility for things. You don't see this very much today, but it, it, it needs to happen. I tell parents all the time, you know, that if you do it right, the older your children get, the less... You shouldn't have to tell them what, what's wrong. They, they're already doing what's right. And, of course, they look at me like I'm a tree full of owls, and I understand that with where the world's at today. But then the fourth stage. Now, we got the discipline stage, the relationship stage, the, uh, uh, the uh, responsibility stage, and then the fourth stage would be the ministry stage. You bring those children right into what the ministry is, mom and dad is already doing, and the whole thing comes full circle. Now, <clears throat> let me just say this. And I'm just going to hit this for a second because I don't want you to miss the parallel. You know, that's how you build a church. I mean, you've got to realize that when you, when you train up your children, my job as a pastor is train up God's children. And he doesn't have one plan for your children and another plan for his children. The plans are the same. Thursday night, somebody asked a question. I forget who it was now. I went over there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, and I talked about the fact that it says, preach the Word, be instant, be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine. I told you. I told him, I said, now there's seven things in there you've got to do to build a church. <coughs> really, there's seven things in there you've got to try to incorporate uh, uh, every time you, you preach a message. The first thing he says, preach the Word. We, that's not one of them. That's what we've got to do. That's what you got to do with your children. You know what he says then? He says, be instant. In season, out of season, there's your first two. You know what in season, out of season means? It means when it's convenient to and when it's not convenient to. There's sometimes it's convenient to discipline your children when it's just at home. And then there's sometimes when you're out in the middle of public that it's not convenient. That's in season and out of season. In ministry, you, sometimes you don't feel like dealing with things. Other times you're up on top of it and you feel like dealing with it. And it's, you know what? You preach it and deal with it no matter what you feel like. That's in season and out of season. Then he says, he comes down through there. He says, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Hey, is, is anybody here has kids? When you have to discipline your children and you rebuke them, Is there anybody here that would fess up and say, my kid just asked for more? When we were in the Army, the standard thing was after 150 calisthenics and an hour PT was after every exercise, you screamed at your lungs. More PT, drill sergeant. More PT. Say, Give me some more. Inside, that's not what you're saying. Does anybody here have a child that when you have to whip them, they just say, mommy, one more round. I don't think that worked. Is there anybody here that when you have to deal with your child and you put them in the corner and you say okay you can come out now uh, and they say no give me 15 more minutes no now let me ask you a question I'm just gonna make a nice parallel here for you let me ask you a question does that stop you from dissing on them anyhow because they don't like being rebuked and disciplined Does that mean you just don't discipline because they don't like it? Are you not the parent who sees the long-term consequences of your child that they don't learn discipline and they don't get rebuked? Okay, put that in a pastor's sense. You don't like being rebuked every Sunday sometimes either, do you? So what do you want me to do, become a liberal? Want me to tell you how good you always are? You know, I'll do the same thing you do with your children. Because long term, I know what is best for this church. Short term, you look at your kid and you said, well, maybe I better not whack him. Then you say to yourself, no. Maybe he didn't do this, but I know he did that yesterday and I didn't do anything. I'm going to whack him twice, you know. You deal with it Because you know, if you don't get him disciplined. If you don't deal with him and you have to rebuke him and reprove him then you're going to have some problems and the fact that he does not like it or she does not like it doesn't change the fact that it has to be done and it's the same when you're god's child the bible says no chastening of the lord is is joyous but grievous but afterward the bible says it yielded the peaceable fruit of god nobody likes being being uh, god dealing with us but i'm telling you something just like it's absolutely a necessity in your child's life it's an absolute necessity in God's people's life but then it goes on and says this exhort exhort you exhort your children you don't just all beat them up all the time you exhort them you lift them up when they do something right you tell them it was right you encourage them in fact if you're a smart parent Or a smart pastor, you'll take the very things you had to deal with them on and turn them around and help them grow through it. If you're smart. Long-suffering, see? Suffer long with your children, don't you? Well, when do you get into the ministry? And then doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And you got to teach them what's right and teach them what's wrong. Now, Putting it all together and putting it together here in the last few minutes we have, here's what we've looked at so far. Now we're going to come back and I'm going to show you how you make that decision in your child's life. All right? Just recap real quickly. we got a couple of things here. One, we now know that there is no sin imputed where there is no law. Two, your children are in a state of innocence. They're under the blood, but they're not covered by the blood. you're, You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. They're not, and you are their protector. You are the guardian of their soul, the ring of protection, the wall around their little lives. At some point, they will become a sinner. And just as death passed upon you and I through Adam, death will pass upon them. Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. It all lays it out. Now here's what you got to watch for. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7, or maybe you're still there, and let's look at verse 12. Paul said, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Now look what he says in verse 12 of Romans chapter 7. And here's the key you've got to look for, mom and dad. This is the difference of understanding how God imputes a righteousness to you and me, and how He imputes it to your children now, and what He wants to do when that child comes to that point. Verse 12, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. But here it comes, here it comes. This is what you want to get, right here. But sin, that it might appear sin, (coughs) working death in me by that which is good, (coughs) that sin by the commandment, here it comes, might become exceedingly sinful. What's that mean? Your child can be in your home, go to church down here in elementary, be around all the things that we talk about in the Bible, and they will pick up words. They will pick up sin. They will pick up hell. They'll grab some basic concepts. They'll hear about mom and daddy going to heaven. They'll hear about this. They'll hear about that. So, in their little world and their little mind, they want to go where mommy and daddy is. So, they're going to run up to you with a bit of fragments about salvation, heaven, and hell, and they're going to say to you, Mommy, Daddy, I want to be saved. If you don't understand that the key to bridging that gap between the innocence of before and after when they need to be saved is understanding that their sin has to become exceedingly sinful. What's that mean? Their ch- your child has to know that he has a personal, she has a personal sin debt toward God it isn't just about oh heaven and hell bad and mean black and light God and the devil it's about sin their sin becoming exceedingly sinful got to tell you this story last week when I was given the invitation four people raised their hands and I was looking across and I'm looking over here and Liz is sitting over here with little Ethan and I'm looking around here and, and old Ethan He's kind of laying over, and I'm talking about if you're here today and you don't you should just raise your hand. Ethan's got his hand right here. Now Ethan's probably five years old or somewhere in there, and he's got a hand right here. You know, and and I'm I'm doing business here, and obviously I'm not gonna say, all right, Ethan, come on down here and trust Christ as your own personal Savior. Really, I'm not sure he didn't have his hand up and he was pointing at his mother who was sleeping next to him because she didn't see him. But I just ignored it. I ignored it. And, uh, you know, and I'm talking about here and I'm working the crowd, you know, what you're supposed to do. And I walk back over here and I'm saying, come on now, raise your hand. Anybody, raise your hand. Well, he's hearing, okay, anybody raise your hand. He's saying, I am somebody and I am raising my hand. I walk back over and now he's sitting up straight and he's got his hand up and he's looking right at me. And I still got to ignore him. Ah! So I'm... Walk back the other side again. And I said, come on, raise that hand. I walked back. Now I looked over, and he's not only standing, sitting up straight looking at me, he's going. <laughs> My point is this. Now you look at that, and I know what most, most preachers would say. That kid really wanted to get saved. I told Liz about it, Liz went home and she asked Ethan, she says, how come you raised your hand? He says, because in school that's what they taught us to do. He made no contact with what I was saying. See what I'm saying? Now you know what happened in most fundamental, funny, funny, fundamentally, fundamentally churches? You know, we're not a fundamental church. I learned a long time ago, they have no fun, they preach a whole lot of damn and they're all mental. Fundamental, see, don't deal with that. I looked at that thing over there, and I thought to myself, now, in most churches, they'd have said, they'd have made a, come on down, Ethan. Ethan down here, and Ethan get down here. And they'd open up the Bible, and then he'd go around saying, wow, God's great. God's great. And little Ethan would go back. He would still say to himself, I don't know what I just did, but my teacher's going to be really proud of me because I raised my hand just like she told me to. Which I'm glad because normally Ethan would say, hey, I'm back here. Why don't you call on me? So he's learning something, learning to raise his hand. My point is this. He ain't ready for that point yet, but you see, something is beginning to work in his life. He's beginning to pick up the things that he's hearing. It's the parent's job to protect that. It's the parent's job to cultivate that. It's the parent's job to not to rush in, but don't be oblivious to it. One, go back to what I said god conscious with your child the leading of the holy spirit of god in your child seeing where your child is at knowing their temperament where they're at where they're at and what they're dealing with talking to them and conversing with them finding out because the qualifications for salvation is found in acts chapter eight when the ethiopian eunuch asked the a great evangelist philip about being baptized and the concept of being saved you know what philip said and it's the. Ch- It's a bottom line statement for your child. Philip looked at him and he says, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. Your child has to have the ability to believe with all his heart. That it just isn't a God of good and evil. And a world of sin and the devil. But that sin is exceedingly sinful. That that sin has become personified. Now, that little boy, that little gal doesn't say, well, I don't want to go to hell because I want to be with mommy. They say, I don't want to go to hell because I'm a sinner and Jesus died on the cross for me. And it's a personal thing. It's my own personal sin debt that needs to be eradicated by the death of Christ. You You show me a child that can understand that concept, I'll show you someone that's ready to be saved. And that's the thing that we're dealing with that's the problem and so when you begin to understand the concept of god's righteousness now next week when we get into romans chapter six we're going to get into the doctrinal phase and we're going to see how that now that we have defined this now that we have laid this thing out we now have the wherewithal to better understand it to lay the foundation of where we got to go and what we got to try to accomplish now and now you understand it how it applies to you How it applies to the jew the gentile to you as the body of christ and now to your children and as always when your child comes to the point in their lives and they're all going to get there you start to be afraid or you start to struggle with it or you start to have a tough time or you start to doubt yourself or do you think you did something stupid let me help you let me help you that's what i'm here for let me show you what you want to do keep you between the white lines so you know what to do and uh and you get through this process and and it, it, you find out that it's, it's the biblical way to do it. Well, let's pray. You pray this week. We just got a lot going on with the building, and uh, I'm gonna. We're all uh, as soon as we're, d- we're done here with the deacons. Please move right over there into the next room. Don't delay, and we can get this done. And then for those of you that are going to help me, I appreciate it. I'm going to have lunch over there at one o'clock or a little after for you. And if you'll come over, and then we'll get going from there, and uh, we'll get everything done. Let's pray.